You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hey, this is Lenny Goldberg. Thanks for joining me. We're in the midst of the Asrei Mechuvah, the 10 days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's a time of year where we try to better ourselves, strengthen ourselves in Torah and mitzvot, and try not to remain the same, you know, schleppers that we were the year before. And that's the role of the shofar, you know, the shofar that we blow during this time. The Rambam writes in the Laws of Tshuva, chapter three, he says, the shofar is saying to us, wake up, you sleepyheads, you who slumber, and arise and check out your deeds and repent and remember your creator. That's what the shofar is trying to tell us. And if you listen to the shofar blows right, that's what you'll hear. And I want to bring down a lecture that Rabbi Kahane gave in which he takes the laws of the shofar and applies that to the Jewish leader. Because the shofar, in a way, is what the Jewish leader is supposed to be. He's supposed to be a watchman. He's supposed to warn. He's supposed to be proactive. He's supposed to say the truth. He, like the shofar, is supposed to wake us up from our slumber. He's supposed to possess certain qualities that make him a leader. So let's look at some of the laws of the shofar and see how that equates to the Jewish leader. So it says in the Shulchan Aruch, the shofar of Rosh Hashanah, mitzvah b'shel ayel kafuf. The shofar must be from a ram's horn that's curved or bent. Kafuf means bent over. And so we always see that the shofar is from bent ram's horn. What are the halacharis of the shofar? It is forbidden that the mouthpiece of the shofar is coated in gold. You can't have a golden mouthpiece. Another halacha, kol kolot k'shevim b'shofar. All the sounds that are produced by the shofar, they're all kosher. Whether it's kolo av, whether it's a heavy sound, or radak, or a thin sound, or yavesh mode, or a raspy kind of sound, all those sounds are kosher. As long as the sound is bekol ram, as long as it's loud enough, it's got to be loud enough so you can hear it. But if the shofar sound is weak and you can hardly hear it, then you're not yotze. If you can't hear it, you didn't do the mitzvah right. And so now Rabbi Kahan is going to take those laws and apply it to what the Jewish leader has to be. The first halacha we saw, that it has to come from a ram, from an aisle. Why the aisle? Because as we know, that symbolizes Yitzchak, who Abraham was ready to sacrifice. And in the end, of course, Abraham didn't sacrifice his son. Yitzchak, instead, he sacrificed the aisle. And so the ram has become a symbol of Akidat Yitzchak. And that whole episode, we saw Misirut Nefesh. Yitzchak was ready to Mose Nefesh. He was ready to die on Kiddush Hashem, Hashem's name, the ultimate Misirut Nefesh. And so that's number one. The leader, he's got to have Misirut Nefesh. And that's symbolized by the ram's horn, which is an allusion to Akidat Yitzchak. And that's something we talk about all the time on this show, that it's not about the luxus, the luxury. If you look at the leaders of the Jewish people, the David, Moses, all of them, it's not about the perks. It's misirut nefesh to lead the Jewish people. It's a burden. That's number one. What other halacha is there? That the shofar has to be kafuf. It has to be curved or bent. And that teaches us that the leader has to be humble. He can't be arrogant. A leader has to be humble in his very nature because when he gets to that high position, if he's not very humble in his nature, there's a very good chance he's going to become arrogant. 
He's going to be getting all this kavod, all this honor, and it's going to get to his head. And that's why the kings of Israel were commanded to walk around all the time with a safe Torah so they won't get haughty. So yeah, humility, that's the starting point for any Jewish leader. Because if he has a trace of arrogance, then there's nothing to talk about. That's what's symbolized by the fact that the shofar is kafuf, it's bent. Another halach we mentioned, that the mouthpiece of the shofar can't be coated with gold. And that's an allusion to the verse, that bribery will pervert justice. A leader has to be clean of any kind of corruption. And he has to make sure that that money and gold, don't speak to him. We know how politicians get bought these days. Well, a true Jewish leader can't be that way. And Rabbi Kahana takes it on another level. He says that because of money, a lot of these yeshivas today and religious institutions, they're bought ideologically. They're bought because they're taking money from the government. And because of that, they're not saying the truth. They pervert Torah truth. They'll be afraid to talk about the mitzvah to expel the Arabs or for a soldier to refuse orders if he's given an order that's immoral according to Torah, like to evacuate a settlement. All those are Torah subjects. And if the yeshiva is getting big money from the government, then he's corrupted in a way and he'll be afraid to say the authentic Torah truth. And then Judaism becomes this watered down thing and people don't know what the truth is because even the rabbis aren't saying it. And so the Jewish leader has to say the Torah truth, even if it might cost him financial gain. And we also have a halacha that you're not allowed to um, put ornaments on the shofar. You can't have kishut, you know, all kinds of jewelry or ornaments. And that's the same idea, that the leader has to be bare of any temptations or ulterior motives. And then we saw the halachas pertaining to the voice of the shofar. We said that it can't be a weak voice. You could have any kind of voice, but it can't be weak because a leader has to say the truth. He has to say it loud. He can't just say it quietly amongst his friends, amongst his colleagues. He's got to put it out there. If not, then it's not worth anything. In the famous episode in the Bible where Elijah the prophet at Mount Carmel, he takes on the 450 false prophets and he brings fire down from the heavens. Before doing so, he declares, I alone am a prophet to Hashem. And Rabbi Kahana would ask the question, well, why is Elijah the prophet saying, I alone I'm a prophet. We knew from the previous chapter that there were a hundred prophets that were hiding in the cave, that Jezebel was trying to kill him, and Avadi was hiding a hundred prophets in a cave, sustaining them. So you have other prophets. So why does Elijah say, I alone am the prophet? And the rabbi would answer that a prophet in a cave, he's not a prophet. The whole point of the prophet is to go out and say the truth. And so for all intents and purposes, yeah, Elijah was the only prophet out there. He was alone. So again, the leader has to say the truth, the kol ram, in a loud voice. Just like the shofar has to be blown loudly. The shofar has to be loud so everybody can hear it and fear it. Same thing with the Jewish leader. He's got to say it loudly, the Torah truth, no matter what. If the shofar is too quiet, lo you didn't get the mitzvah for it. And that's a lesson for the leader to say the truth no matter what. And even if people might not listen, it's important that it's out there so people can decide and know what the Torah truth is in the first place. And remember we said any voice is good. It doesn't matter if it's raspy, if it's 
high or low or thick or thin, if you have an American accent, if you got a Russian accent, if you don't speak Hebrew that good, all voices are kosher. Any sound is kosher for the shofar as long as it's loud. So if you know the truth, and you might not be that articulate, or maybe you're not especially scholarly, it's important to say it. And that's one of the reasons we're in big trouble today, because nobody says the truth. A couple of days ago, two Jews were shot on their way to an Avishai Rebo concert in Harbracha. One of them was the son of Binyamin Kahana, Mer Kahana his name is. It was a miracle that they weren't hurt more than they were. There were like 40 bullets from close range shot at their car. And you know, nobody's going to say what the answer is to this. You'll see the head of the Moatza, the head of the Shomron Council, Yossi Dayan, he'll be screaming and demanding protection on the roads and more roadblocks and checkpoints. But everybody knows there's no real solution to it, except what the Torah says, and you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land. But nobody's going to say it. And if you don't say it, it's never going to happen. That's the point. If you don't say it, if you don't aim for it, then even when the reality may come into your hands to do it, you're not going to do it because you didn't teach it. That's why in the 67 war, when they conquered the Temple Mount, you know what they did? They ran down to the Kotel because they were educated and everybody was conditioned on the Kotel, 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 the Wailing Wall, Temple Mount. Who knew about that? But the Temple Mount is much holier than the Kotel. The only reason the Kotel has significance is because the Temple Mount. But when it came into our hands, miraculously in 1967, we threw it away. So it's important to say it, to say the truth, to teach the truth, even if it's not popular, even if it sounds not realistic, you have to aim for it. And so during these days of tshuva, days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's not just a personal tshuva we have to worry about, but there's something called national tshuva, where we display that our connection to Shem is so strong that we're not afraid of what the nations say. We're not afraid to take those steps we have to take that the Torah dictates that we take, such as expelling the enemy, annexing Judea and Shomron, and making it all part of the land of Israel while at the same time expelling all those trespassers. You know who I mean. That is tshuva too. That's a big tshuva. That's a national tshuva. Because if tshuva is all about reconnecting to Hashem, well, what's a greater connection than that? That we prove that we believe in Hashem so much that we believe that if we fulfill those national mitzvot, if we fulfill those difficult mitzvot, those real tests of faith, and those are the mitzvot I just mentioned, because we believe that the Almighty God is stronger than anybody who sits in the White House, who sits in the UN. And when we say in our prayers, El Berechev, El Besusim, they may have the horses and the chariots, but we go in the name of Hashem. Well, authentic tshuva is showing that you really mean that when you say it, that you really mean your prayers when you say that God, who Yoshienu, who Yigaleinu, he will save us. He will redeem us. So we have to take our tshuva you know, on a different level, on a higher level, on a national level too. Because these are the true yardsticks of faith that prove whether we believe or not. It's the proof of the pudding. It separates the men from the boys, as they say. As Rabbi Kahana used to say back in the days of George Bush, we have to show that we believe in the burning bush and not in George Bush. Now, I wanted to talk about something totally different, and that's about praying. A lot of us have a lot of trouble sitting through the prayers and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. 
all the chazanut and the drawn out prayers, the piyutim. For a lot of people, it's it's torture. We're looking at our machzor and counting the pages. When does this thing end? And obviously, that's not good. And I want to give a little bit of advice might help. The most important thing is that when you're praying is just look at the words. Try to get inside the words. The less mechanical, the better. At least on these high holy days. Let's look at the words and get inside them. You know, you can meditate on those words alone. Just the very fact that we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, the Lord. The fact that you're saying, are you, we're talking to Hashem? Blessed are you? Wow, we got a personal relationship with Hashem? Just stop on that. Say, Baruch Atah Atah. I am talking to God, the creator of the world. Oh my God. I'm actually talking to God. Just let that sink in. I'm actually talking to him. Just let that settle in you for a while. Meditate on that for a while. And then you'll be praying for a longer time than the congregation. And it won't be annoying that they're taking so long because you're taking longer than them. Because you're meditating. Because you're thinking about the words. That's the key to meaningful prayer. Obviously, is you're thinking of the words. You're internalizing those words, letting them get inside you. And I guarantee, if you read those words slowly enough and let them sink in, your prayer will be very meaningful. You know, just the very beginning of it, where we talk about how Hashem revives the dead. He revives the dead with great rachamim. He fulfills his promise to those who are sleeping in the dust. He's talking about how he revives the dead. That's pretty awesome. The whole beginning of Shmon Asrei is about that. And so like I said, don't pay attention to the Chazarat shots. Go long. And even if it ends up that you're not repeating Kedusha because you're behind them, because you're behind the congregation, you haven't finished your davening yet. That's all right. And speaking of Shmon Asrei, not the Shmon Asrei of Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah, but just the regular Shmon Asrei. And this is going back to what I was saying before on the focus on the national issues. I'm going back and forth here, but you notice that in the Shmon Asrei, most of the prayers are about our national aspirations. We say, we're, we're praying for Kibbutz Galiot, the ingathering of the exiles, restoring the judges, bringing the Mashiach. There's tons of prayers about the temple and about the sacrifices and how we wish to restore all that. Most of our praying in Shmon Asrei is not about our personal prayers. The focus is really on Am Yisrael as a klal and progressing towards the geula, to the redemption process as a nation. So because most of us don't really pay attention to the words, when do we start paying attention? On the blessing, Shema Hashem Tefilatenu, hear our prayers, Baruch Hashem Shomet there where we can get personal and we add there our personal prayers for, for Shlema, and all kinds of other things we ask Hashem for, that's when the kavana usually comes back, right? At that point. Because that's the personal part of the Shemona more. And even during our prayers on Rosh Hashanah that we prayed, it really had nothing to do with our special needs or requests. You know, people add that in, but the whole point of Rosh Hashanah is really to declare Hashem is king. It's a prayer for the klal, for the collective, not for the individual. And just so you know, in the Talmud, all the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, they're totally just about the klal. And it was only later on when the gonim uh, added 
to the tefillah of Rosh Hashanah, where we make personal requests, those additions which are for the individual, they were added later on. The original prayer in the Talmud has none of that. It's all about making Hashem king. It's all about the collective. But again, the major problem is we don't really pay attention to the words. Our minds wander so much. It's so hard to stay focused sometimes. And so the key to staying focused is try to, before you pray, read about the meaning of these prayers, learning about the meaning of Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Rosh Hashanah so that it just doesn't become a holiday of eating like on Sukkot or Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur is just a day we fast and want to get it over with. But if you learn the significance of the holidays, of the prayers, then when you actually go and do it, it'll mean a lot more to you because there's so much depth behind it. I remember that before my son's bar mitzvah, I wanted to teach him about tefillin. You know, what's the significance of tefillin? I didn't just want him to put on these boxes on his arm and on his head. I wanted to know what it's about. So I got a book by R.A. Kaplan where he explains every little thing about tefillin. Of course, I didn't know it myself. I forgot everything I learned. And I taught to him and we learned together what tefillin means. What is these boxes? What is the shin on the box? What's the yud on the straps? All these little, all these details and some of the depth that goes behind it. And you know, the next morning when I put on my tefillin, it really was different because when I put it on, I'm half asleep. I'm not thinking about it. But because I learned about it the day before, suddenly, wow, you know what's in these boxes? The way the parchments are arranged, everything is by divine law. Every little part of it has significance. So again, the key is not to be mechanical and rote and robotic, but we think what we're doing. And that's why there are Hasidim who actually scream the tefillot. They say it out loud. They yell it. Because if you're screaming the words, you're most likely thinking of what you're saying. But if you just say it really fast, you're not really thinking of what you're saying. And that's why the word kavana, kavana, right? That means when you think about your prayers, it's called kavana. So what does the word kavana mean? It means, in Hebrew, litkaven means you mean it. You pray like you mean it. And just to show what else kavana is, let's look at the Hebrew word kivun. Kivun means direction. And in Hebrew, you know what a wheel alignment is called? It's called a kivun front. That's how you say wheel alignment. So you have the word kivun, meaning alignment. And so you want your thoughts to be aligned with the words you're saying. You want to follow what you're saying. That's kavana. And you can't have kavana if you're saying the words so fast or thinking them and your mind isn't keeping up with what you're saying. It's not mikuvan. It's not aligned. You got to align your thoughts with your words. Now, during these days of Chuba, between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, there is something that can keep us grounded, keep us aligned, so to say, that could prevent us from praying without thinking what we're saying. And that's the fact that we have to add all these additions in Rosh Monasrei. We have to say Amelech HaKadosh instead of Ayelah Kadosh. We say Amelech HaMishpat and you have other additions. And that's a good thing because at least during these 10 days of Chuba, when we're supposed to have a little more kavana, we have to. Because if we don't, we're going to skip all those additions. If we're just coasting through our prayers, we're going to forget HaMelech HaKadosh and HaMelech HaMishpat, etc. So it's really good that we have these additions built in to our Shmon Asrei between the days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And that will stop us from praying, you know, on automatic pilot where we don't really know what we're saying. And if you forget to say HaMelech HaKadosh instead of HaElech HaKadosh, you have to start the prayer all over again. You got to go back. 
you got to return to the beginning of Shmon Asrei. You don't want to do that. So we have to pay attention to our davening, at least during these days. Just for the very sake of not forgetting HaMelech HaKadosh, HaMelech HaMishpat, Zuchren Lachim Tovim, Zuchor B'nei Britecha, that we don't say during the rest of the year. So if we're not paying attention, we're going to skip it. You see how smart Hashem is? And so with those tips I've given you, and I hope I follow it myself, Bizrat Hashem, our prayers for the holidays will be meaningful, will affect us. You know, I once heard from Rabbi Yom Tov Glazer, the surfing rabbi, and he once said that after you daven, you're supposed to walk out of shul the way you feel when you come back from the beach. You know, after a full day of activity at the beach, when you're in the ocean and, and you're on the sand, just a whole day there, you feel like on your way home that you went through something. You did something. You had an experience. Well, that's how you're supposed to feel after you pray. You went through something. Something happened to you. You feel it on your body and your soul. Well, that's how it's supposed to be when you're diving. You're supposed to feel that you had an experience. You feel a little bit different than you did before you walked into that show. Anyway, in closing, today is Tzom Gedalia. And if you're listening to this after the fast, that's okay too. And if you'd like to know a little more about Tzom Gedalia, what is it all about? It happens to be a story in the Bible, in the book of Kings, in the book of Jeremiah, a little bit in Chronicles. And so if you want to know more about it, I have a link to my class on Tzom Gedalia at the bottom of my page here, where this show is presented. You'll see a link to the whole story of Tzom Gedalia and all my other Tanakh classes. That's it for me. Don't forget to listen to my Bible classes, Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes. That's also part of doing tshuva, is learning Tanakh, getting back to the basics, getting back to the source. Tshuva, lashuv, to return, to return to the source of everything, to the basics of Judaism. And that begins with the Tanakh. I'll see you next week.